Good morning, Grace Community Church. Uh, it is time to worship, and uh, we're doing a little bit different this morning because of the coronavirus. And um, we know that uh, we comply with the wishes of the Cole County Health Department. And, uh, of course, we just want to stay safe. So we'll uh, be a little wise in that uh, choice, not being able to meet together. Uh, know that uh, fellowship and worship is important to us. Um, but with the um, opportunity that we have here, at least through um, the website, that's what we will do today on this audio. And if you want to, you can follow along on uh, the website. It has a manuscript, and uh, so we usually have an outline that we give at uh, time of worship at uh, the church building. But uh, you can use the manuscript if you like. have a question for you. How many things do we know that are certain and are guaranteed in our lives? Well, how about... Um, doing things maybe from an hour from now. We certainly would know that, wouldn't we? Uh, you might have something planned, maybe generally or specifically. Probably you're thinking what you will have for uh, lunch, maybe, uh, knowing what meat or vegetables you might have. After that, you might have something in mind to do around the house. And at this juncture, around the house seems to be the place for most people these days. Uh, what will you be doing tomorrow? Well, that's pretty easy, probably, uh, around the house again, right? Uh, so you uh, may have plans, and maybe you don't, but you um, know that possibly in three days from now, or even a week, you might know what you might be doing, but really, do you know that? Are you really for sure? There are a lot of things that uh, we may know that will happen, but even as much as what we think we know may not happen. I don't believe that a month ago we knew our lives would be on hold and we'd be pretty much homebound. Things can happen in a hurry and can turn our lives upside down. So we really don't know the future, even though we have normal lives. Some of us go to work every day and we do what we do. We come home, we eat supper, have a good evening, have a good nice rest. And we do those normal things day after day, week after week, and even year after year. We're really familiar with that lifestyle that would be uh, what we do every day. We can predict what we're going to do tomorrow in that sense, next week, next year. However, we have no guarantee we're not fortune tellers. We don't really predict the future. However, on the other hand, we know the future. Absolutely guaranteed when it comes to the end of the world as we know it. We know specific details. Isn't it interesting that we don't know for sure what can happen in the next hour in our own lives? But we can look into the future, and because of what God has told us in His Word, we can be certain for sure, without a doubt. That is amazing to me. We have a lot of knowledge about one of the most fascinating times in the history of the universe. As a matter of fact, we know for certain about the blazing glory of the return of Christ. As the lights go out in the sky, and then in an instant, 
out of the most extreme black darkness. The light show of all light shows is seen by everyone on earth as Christ enters the atmosphere, resembling a lightning flash across the sky and the most brilliant light is revealed with all the angels and saints accompanying the Savior. Is this some kind of a fairy tale, some kind of a sci-fi movie? Sounds like it. But, no, it's the most significant event ever in the history of this planet. And it's real. And we just told some minute details of what will happen at the Second Coming. And we know for sure that will happen. As long as it comes from the Word of God, we have truth, whether it be in the past 3,500 years, whether it be 2,000 years ago, or all the way into the future. This is amazing. Truly, it's the only thing we can know for sure. What is spoken in Scripture is 100% correct, and that it's history, and yes, it's prophecy. This should mean a lot to us, because even though we don't know our personal future, we do know much more important things and it's not just subjective, but it's objective truth, the authority of the very Word of God. And we have quite a blessing because God has led us in on the culmination of the time of man and the revealing of the Son of Man. I believe that's quite a gift, a privilege that God has given to us. We can take that to the bank. Our uh, title this morning is called Summer is Near. It's out of Luke 21, 29 through 36. The first part that we're going to be dealing with is the fact of his return is more certain than heaven and earth. Christ coming back is more certain than anything, even heaven and earth. Now, Jesus had just answered the disciples' question of when is the kingdom and what will be the sign when this takes place? And we've dealt with that for the past few weeks. He told them that the um, many would come in his name, that there would be wars, and famines, and earthquakes, and those would multiply as time went on. They were told that they'd face persecution, and the disciples certainly did. And throughout church history, the body of Christ has faced persecution even all the way to the point of the present time. And so, Jesus advanced that prophecy by taking it all the way to the end, dealing with the Great Tribulation, which uh, in the middle of it, or during the middle of the Tribulation, the Great Tribulation starts last three and a half years, and it was kicked off, as Jesus spoke about it, it's going to be in the future, the abomination of desolation and a severe massacre of Jewish people. After that time, there would be signs in the sky with stars and astrological bodies in space careening all over the place, nearing the earth. There would be darkness, and then Christ would return in all of his glory for all to see. 
and he will judge the unbelievers and bring in the kingdom of glory for his own people. So in the text that we're dealing with, after we just finished the part last week about Christ coming back to earth in that glorious way, he says, you can know for sure that this is true. So it tells him a parable, gives an illustration, as he says in verse 29 of 21 of Luke, that he told them a parable, Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it, and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he gives a parable, and uh, parables are meant to be understood. They are heavenly truths, but they are brought down to be understood here on earth. Uh, an earthly understanding is what he is trying to give them. So this parable doesn't take any kind of a brain surgeon for anybody to understand. It's uh, simple. It's easy. As he says, it's a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Something that everybody would be familiar with, especially in Israel, would be uh, the fig tree. Uh, in Matthew twenty-four thirty-two, he says, so you can understand. That's a correlating passage. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, now learn this parable of the fig tree. This is for your learning. It's for you to understand. Manthano is the idea, is the Greek word for the idea of being able to learn this, to understand it. And in Matthew 13, verse 10 and 11, where you have a series of parables, a whole chapter is dealing with that, and he says in verse 10 and 11 that it is, it is given to you to know of mysteries of the kingdom. It's given to you to know. Not only to the apostles, but also to all believers of all time, and that would be us. Uh, Jesus speaks to his people. He reveals something. It's a gift to us, and it's to be clear and knowable. Jesus did not speak in mysteries that we could not understand. So he uses the fig tree illustration. Everybody's familiar with it. They're... Uh, the fig trees are all over the land in Israel, and that's why he uses uh, something so familiar to them. Uh, it was used quite often in the Old Testament, the fig tree illustrations. Uh, in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, he used the fig tree as uh, an analogy to the patriarchs. In Jeremiah 24, Verse 2, he referred to good and bad people like good and bad figs. In Joel 1, verse 6 and 7, the fig tree was used as an illustration of Israel. 
And Jesus used the story of fig trees quite often. In Matthew 21, in 18 through 22, in those verses, Jesus mentions this fig tree, the withering fig tree, which was symbolizing Israel and how they had withered as a nation and they were to be judged. Uh, in Luke, even though he says fig trees, he happens to use all the trees along with that. So it's like any kind of tree that will put out leaves. We know that summer is near. Uh, the leaves are signs. Anybody knows this. It's a, an axiom. It's a general principle. Anybody would know what that would be. Whenever you see leaves starting to grow on the trees, you are in spring. And that's the time that we are in now. The trees are just getting ready as they're budding and you're seeing a little bit of green from some trees and maybe a little bit of reddish. I just love this time of the year because it's so colorful. The buds come out on the limbs, the branches. All kinds of flowers start budding and bushes starting to flower out. It's a great time of hope. And that's what spring does. It points to something that is has come from something like a long winter. The temperatures now are getting mild and warmer each day and the grass is growing. Flowers ready to bloom and trees giving their leaves for beauty and shade. Summer is near. And that's our title today, but it's so true in the element that we are truly in spring and we know that good times are coming in that sense. Um, whenever he says, as he addresses, uh, so you also, in verse 31, so you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Well, that physical kingdom has not come yet and so the word you is not necessarily the disciples there uh, you would think it would be but it's really in the future and it's when Christ comes back so all the apostles we know died the church has been going on for 2,000 years so the you there would be the people who see these things, these things, the, these would be the signs. That's what Jesus has been talking about in this Luke 21 uh, so much as he's been giving them signs to watch out for, and especially right at the end. So when you see these things, the kingdom is at hand. Uh, it's near. So the, the, the answer to the disciples is now given. They had questioned when. And he answers the question of when as he says, those signs of the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars. And then, after they go out, the light of the world, the Son of Man, of course, is that ultimate sign. There have been quite a few signs that Jesus kept talking about, but ultimately, right at the moment when Christ comes back, 
That is the sign. And of course, the disciples were asking about that. He didn't give them a year, a day, uh, a month, anything from the calendar when he was coming back, but he gave them signs and then the Son of Man, and when he comes back, the kingdom of heaven that uh, we recognize as that millennial kingdom, Christ rules and reigns, that will be the time that it will be set up. Now, he really gets to this aspect of the certainty of his coming. He will come back. That is something that all believers look forward to. What a promise it is. That's why we can keep on living in the times that we do that can be tough trials and tribulations, tough times. And we look to the time that Christ will come back. It's worth it all. So he says, Truly, I say to you in verse 32, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is a guarantee. And he says truly, and he always speaks truth, never speaks anything besides truth. Uh, and so when he says truly, it's like, pay attention. This is for certain. This is a fact. It's guaranteed. And there's not much of anything that is truly guaranteed. But the word of truth is always guaranteed. Anything that God says, we know is true. It's genuine. It is certain. It's guaranteed. So he says something that's really interesting. When he speaks about the generation... Recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. To all these things, these signs have taken place that we've looked at. And so, we get into a controversial phrase there. This generation, a lot of interpretations. Some say it's those who were hearing him speak right at that time. Some say it's 70 A.D. Some say it means the Jewish race because the word for generation was gene, which means, sometimes means race, meaning the Jewish race. And so that would be an interpretation there. We know we've heard from uh, how Lindsay and some others say that 1948, we know that Israel became a state and they gave a generation to be 40 years. So 1948 plus 40 years would have been 1988. Jesus didn't come back at that time, obviously, and time has moved on. Uh, the Date setters can run into troubles, I'm guessing, when that will be, and setting the time as for day and month and year, that's where they run into trouble, of course. So it was not the 40 years after 1948. I think the best solution 
for this idea of this generation is that it's the generation that is living when all these end-time signs begin to occur. Jesus is saying that the generation that sees the beginning of the end, like, for instance, the Great Tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the massacre of many, many Jews. Uh, when you see those things, when the signs come, they will proceed quickly. They're not going to be birth pains that are far apart as they have been for 2,000 years. Now, the birth pains will be quicker than ever. And he's saying, when you've seen all these signs, if you saw the last few signs that he mentioned, then he's not going to drag on many generations after that. He's saying it will be at that time. When Christ comes back, it will happen in the lifetime of those people that had seen those signs. So, this generation is the idea of that. Then he says, in verse 33, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's a guarantee. And the more than you can trust the ground that you stand on, and that you also trust that there will be moon and stars in the sky, the sun will rise tomorrow and will set, you stand on those principles, they are ones that are always true, you can trust the words of Jesus Christ. Only God and human flesh could ever make such a claim here as he does. It's not a matter of speculation as he prophesies. It's a certain fact. And if it's not, then we can't trust Jesus at all. But we know better than that. This is about the certainty of his coming, his second coming. And that has been presented all through Luke 21. So he's finishing up this great sermon about what he's going to do when he comes back. And makes me think of the passage in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, The heavens will be destroyed by burning. The elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So he does make a statement, Peter does, that would be comparable to what Jesus is saying in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away. So, we know when Christ comes back, it's not that we're going to get new heavens and new earth completely at that time. It will be coming, but there will be some topographical changes to the earth. There will be climate changes, all for the good, biological changes. In the ultimate, though, at the end of the kingdom, the millennium, the thousand years, the heavens 
and the earth will burn up, and all results of sin will be totally erased, eradicated, and there will be pure new heavens and new earth. So Jesus is making a statement. Heaven and earth will pass away. And that means anything else can go. But the Word of God will be eternal. The Word of God will not pass away. It is the authority. It is eternal. It will stand forever. And Matthew 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, heaven and earth shall pass away. Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So he makes statements about heaven and earth passing away, grass withering, flower fading, but the word of God is always true, it's always eternal. That gets us in to the second part, at verse 34 and 35, where he talks about the danger before his coming, the dissipation and the worries. Jesus says this after he's saying, I will come back. It is certain, it's for sure, what I, spe- what I say, what I speak is absolutely true. And then he says, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. He says, be on guard. There will be a tendency for people to get lax the reason that we live this life is to glorify God, to be holy, to honor Him. And we know that as He comes back, we too will live in glory. So, if that be the case, why wouldn't we want to live lives that would be holy? He... Uh, says be on guard, stand firm, guard your position, so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation. A dissipation or a carousing that comes with drunkenness. It's a, the nausea that accompanies the debauchery. Nausea that accompanies the sins of debauchery, which were common in the ancient world. There was alcohol consumption and gluttony. They would eat and drink until literally they would be nauseous and vomiting. And uh, so he uses that kind of thought there. I guess you could be drunk spiritually in the sense that just not being on guard not being ready, not being watchful, 
He's talking about being weighted down. That's like a, a word that uh, has a literal meaning of being overcome by sleep. You don't want the Lord to come back in a moment when you're under the weight of sin. That would be the idea there. Lazy, sleepy, under the weight of sin, like a, a, a drunkard would be. It'd be dizzy and in his carousing and in that kind of thought. He says, you don't want to be weighted down like that. Christ is coming back. You want to live anticipating the coming of Christ, that your heart is not burdened down with sin, so that when the Lord comes, that you would be caught or trapped. And that's the the word that he says, that he will be coming suddenly, like a trap. They're caught. And that's not the way we want to be when Christ comes back. We want to be on guard and uh, waiting for Him. Christ actually is our very source of peace. Drinking or drugs, things that people turn to because that's the only way they can face life, they think. But we know that the only peace is in Christ Himself. And so that's we shouldn't be weighted down by any sin. He uses uh, in the next verse something that uh, goes along with it and it kind of is good for our times that we're dealing with today. He says in verse 36, But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So he says, be on guard. And he talks about being alert. And uh, we, we see that we're not to be worrying. The worries of life, he talks about dissipation, and then the worries of life were... We are, uh, as we're looking for Him, why would we be doubting? And that's really what worry is. It's the opposite of faith. It is doubting Him. It has reference to uh, issues and struggles and temptations and matters of this world. Uh, very general, I guess it could be the world and the flesh and the devil, the world of sin. And you'll remember that Jesus spoke about don't be anxious in Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. And that's really what it means. It's don't worry about anything because He gives us everything that we need. That's where trust comes in. Worry is the opposite. Worry is a sin. And... Uh, I think that I'd, I'd heard somebody say in the last day or two, worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about things He can change. And that's what faith is. And it just 
looks at him and realizes that he will take care of it all. And whether it be this coronavirus that has got the whole world turned upside down. And it is devastating and we take it seriously. But at the same time, there's nothing to worry about. The Lord knew full well that this virus would be coming over the world. And, and for some reason, He brings it on. It, it could be that it's a time that would be opportunity for Christians because there will be people that will not know what truth is and could be very worried, very anxious. And we have answers for them. And uh, that's what we always want to be reminded of, that we don't have to worry. Any issues, struggles and temptations, whatever's going on in the world, it's all about trusting. Trusting the God who's in control. Control of all things. And as he says in 36, keep on the alert at all times. Praying. Vigilance. Living all the time like that he could come back in the next moment. And that's the way I believe the church has always looked at this. Even though those signs were not that close to him coming back. But they were to live like he could come back at any moment. And that's the way that we are to look at that. And we know full well that he could come back at any moment in time. It's a powerful effect on how we live. And that leads us to holiness uh, a holy life of virtue that is separated from sin. Being on the alert at all times. Praying. Praying is there again. It's having a conversation with God despite the circumstances. Knowing that He brings things on that may seem to be the exact opposite of what we should be receiving. But he is controlling it. Christians look at it in a different way than the unbelieving world. And so we go to him, we speak to him, and he is the one that changes things. He changes us even more so. So, And how we look at things closes it out in that section so that we would have strength to escape all these things that are getting ready to take place. And that would be those signs, uh, especially during the tribulation, the great tribulation, persecution like no other time ever in the history of mankind. Strength to escape and I'm not so sure if he really means to totally escape and be hidden in caves. But he's talking about the only people who will really escape are believers. Escaping 
God's wrath, God's judgment. The only people who will stand before the Son of Man will be believers. The rest are going to fall before the Son of Man. To stand before the Son of Man, what does that mean? What means to come into His court and to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. True believers endure and they're able to go through those hard times, difficult times, good times. They endure. They continue on. They stay in the faith. They stay in the Word. They're obedient. They live holy lives. So as we think about Christ's second coming, it's such a guarantee. We take it as a gift that He would reveal how He's coming back, what the signs are, and to know that it will happen. And I would take it that all of you people from Grace Community Church would be at 100% that Christ is going to return. And we want to know when. We'd like to know that, but it doesn't matter. We know He's coming back. How has His return affected our lives in this past week? Did it figure in how we spent our time? Did it fill us up with hope? Did it enable us to resist temptation and to live lives that would be reputable and lives that would show us as ambassadors for the King? How have we spent our money as stewards of this King? So, the second coming of Christ is something that is the, one of the most powerful biblical motivations to godly living and bringing glory to God. And so we can be certain, as I said earlier, we don't know what tomorrow brings in our personal lives, even what the next hour brings. But we can look into Christ's words and know exactly what's going to happen when he comes back. And we know that we will be returning with him if we passed on. We come back with him and the angels. And we um, thank the Lord for this great teaching that Jesus gave here in Luke 21. And uh, it was quite interesting, quite fascinating, but even more than that, it's touching to our hearts. Thank you for joining this message today as we study the words of Christ and His truth.